For years, politicians have been talking about government debt, balancing the books and getting our house in order, cutting the deficit so the government has to borrow less to get by. Today, the debt crisis should properly be regarded as the greatest strategic threat to the future security of our nations. But while the government has preached about austerity, the rest of us have been borrowing like mad. Some of us are going into debt just to pay the bills, amid warnings that one in six of us are at risk of a debt crisis. Credit cards, overdrafts and payday loans are propping up households across the country as wages continue to fall in real terms, and many people are struggling under the pressure of paying back what they owe. While we were talking endlessly about government borrowing, did we miss the real debt crisis in our economy? And if huge levels of personal debt are leading us to economic disaster, what can we do about it? My name's Aisha Thomas-Smith, and today on the Weekly Economics Podcast, we're talking personal debt and what it's doing to our economy. Stay with us. To talk about personal debt, we're welcoming back Sarah Lyle, who leads on the New Economics Foundation's social policy work with a particular focus on household debt. How are you, Sarah? Really well, thanks, Aisha. Great to be back on. Nice to have you. It's good to be back too. I've uh, I've been in the States and I was replaced by some subpar hosts, but now (laughs) I am back with a vengeance. Kidding. Nothing but love. Okay, we're also joined by our special guest, Dr. Joe Michelle, who's a senior lecturer in economics at the University of the West of England in Bristol. How's it going, Joe? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem. It's nice to have you. Just a heads up for listeners, we had a few technical difficulties with uh, our call with Joe, um, so it might sound a bit different in a few different places, um, but hopefully we stumbled through and it still all makes sense. So, I've been off for a few weeks and we haven't done our normal headlines bit at the beginning of this podcast for a while, so we're going to look back at your biggest stories of the last seven days in a segment I like to call... Push it real good, because I couldn't think of anything remotely relevant. (laughs) So I thought I'd just go for something totally random. So, Sarah, what's your story? Um, The story that's really striking me this week is the one about summer childcare costs. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been research showing that costs are at record highs for parents looking for uh, childcare for their kids during the holidays. It's going to be costing parents around £750 for six weeks of childcare cost. And um, Neff's actually done some calculations to show that that means parents paying a total of £2.75 billion. Um, So in a context where we know that people's wages are not going up, as you said, um, in in real terms, uh, and they're already struggling with other costs like rent, this is really serious. Um, and I'm glad that we're that that, that story's out there and people are talking about it. Great, thanks, Sarah. Um, Joe, what have you got for us? Uh, I'm afraid I've gone for the boring economists um, headlines this week. There are two of them. One of them uh, is that inflation uh, came in lower than expected. It's dipped for the first time since the Brexit vote. Uh, and the other one is that consumer spending has picked up again. Now they sound like sort of super boring economist stories, but actually I think there's a connection to your main um, story this week, mm. which is that with inflation falling, we're going to have lower interest rates for longer, uh, and with consumption spending up again, that sort of fits the pattern we've seen over the last couple of years of, of debt-fueled household spending. So with those stories in mind, uh, our big question for this week is, are levels of personal debt leading us to another recession? 
Individuals and households in the UK are in more debt than ever before. Stagnant wages and rising prices means many are forced to borrow just to put food on the table. Having to repay higher levels of debt at even higher levels of interest can clearly have terrible effects at a personal level. But could it damage the wider economy too? It is a boom and bust cycle, but you also get to the stage where you have such a big accumulation of debt that that's the final crunch. Some economists believe high levels of personal debt were at the root of the financial crisis and even the Great Depression. With an economy where individuals and households are borrowing more than ever, are we heading for another economic downturn? Or can we deal with the debt crisis before we get there? So first, Sarah, if you'll help us out with the basics, what do we mean by personal debt? How much personal debt do we all have? And who's in the most debt? Right, so by personal debt, we mean things like credit cards, store cards, bank loans, catalogue repayments, payday loans, which had a lot of attention a couple of years ago. Um, rent to own, which is when you can rent your fridge from a shop like Bright House or Perfect Home. So mm. it's kind of all of those uh, types of borrowing that allow you to uh, spend uh, in the economy, um, not including student loans and not including mortgages. Your second question was about how big the debt is. Uh, it is large. Mm -hmm. It's £236.5 billion at the moment, which is beyond its peak before the crisis. So in 2008, the, the peak was £230 billion. So it's past that. And per, per household, it's around £13,200 at the moment. But obviously, some households have more debt than others. So that's mm -hmm. just an average. And it's growing really fast. So it's growing at about 10% a year. Or, but on things like credit cards, it's growing at 14% a year. And you asked who's, who's kind of worst affected by it. The burden tends to be greatest on those with the lowest incomes, mm. um, those who are self-employed, especially people self-employed and on less than 25 grand a year, people who are in the private rental sector and women, interestingly, who are um, more likely to take out credit to pay for essentials. Wow, okay, so so are we counting kind of mortgages in that? Like what, what usually makes up the biggest share of household debt? As I said, so when we're talking about consumer debt, we are not talking about mortgages. Mm -hmm. So that 236 and a half billion, that's just unsecured debt. So just con just consumer credit. Um, but we are talking things like car loans. Um, and we are, yeah, we are talking about overdrafts and bank loans, um, credit cards, which are the, probably the biggest part. So credit cards are about 41% of the total debt burden at the moment. Okay, so, so why are people borrowing so much? The usual economist answer is that people are borrowing because debt is cheap. Mm. But I don't think that's true. So if you look at interest rates on different kinds of consumer debt, bank loans have become cheaper uh, in terms of interest rates. But the interest rates have gone up on credit cards and they're going up on overdrafts. And if you look at credit cards, the you're, you're likely to be, if you're, if you're on a low income especially, you're likely to be spending... 29.9% annually on, on interest. And some credit cards have interest rates of up to 60%. It's absolutely wow. huge. And that's just over a course of one year. So if you're not paying your credit card off for like two or three years, you'll easily have paid more than 100% in interest. Mm. So I would say it's not because credit's cheap, um, but it might be because it's easy to access. And actually, it's easy for creditors to lend at the moment. 
the regulation isn't particularly burdensome. And if if a creditor finds that the people they've lent to can't repay, then what they do is they just take that debt and they sell it on what's called the secondary market. Other people will buy it and then they'll continue to chase the debtors for that for that debt. So actually, there's not really much incentive for creditors to lend wisely. All right. So so what's the relationship between government debt and private debt? Are people taking on more debt as a result of the government trying to cut the deficit or how, how does all this work? It's hard to draw a direct um, connection, but what I think we can say is that since austerity started around 2010, when Osborne and the governments after him started trying to cut government spending, what that did was it reduced total spending in the economy um, and led to sort of pressures for for recession to start. But what stopped that recession has been uh, household spending. Uh, And with wages falling, with incomes stagnant, Um, It's quite clear that that household spending has been propped up by um, credit cards, by uh, car finance and so on. So the the connection is a little bit hard to really pin down, but it does seem to be the case that as the government has uh, cut back, households have sort of stepped up and kept the economy afloat. And that's led to the the debt sort of shifting off the government's books onto the backs of households. I think you're right. You're seeing that from the macroeconomic perspective, Joe, which is really helpful. Uh, I guess we've mm-hmm. seen it at the household level where people are reporting that they are using debt increasingly for everyday essentials. So people are saying Step Change has actually just come out with a report um, saying that 8.8 million people are using credit for everyday essentials, which tends to be things like rent, grocery shopping, uh, bills, repairs to their home. And so it's, it's clear that there's this sense of people plugging the gap and that's, and that's partly because of wages, and that's also partly because of cuts to other forms of income support and public services. So, Joe, are the high levels of personal debt that we've been talking about here having an impact on the wider economy? Yes. Well, as I was sort of saying in the, in the last segment, what they're doing is they're allowing the economy to, to, to keep on growing, to look like it's sort of healthy by headline GDP figures, which is what's always quoted in the, in the discussion on the radio and so on. But underneath those headline figures, actually, the economy looks quite weak. You know, investment is very weak. Uh, our trade position uh, is, is not improving, even though we've had uh, devaluation of the pound since the Brexit vote. So personal debt, I think, is, is increasingly being recognized as the thing which is allowing the economy to, to look like it's still functioning. Although you, you could sort of say, is that really a, a long run sustainable strategy? In one way or another, that's going to have to come to an end. Uh, why? Why does it have to come to an end? Can it not just go on? Well, that's a good question. I think there are two possible ways that it can come to an end. One is just that households sort of decide that they've reached the limit and they don't want to borrow anymore, or the banks decide they might want to tighten lending requirements or whatever, and then you just get a cutback in household spending, and then you get a a fall in GDP growth. You might get a recession if it was particularly severe. That's, That's not a good scenario, but the other scenario is that Along with something like that, you get wage falls and you actually get people really getting into difficulty paying those debts. And then you have increasing personal bankruptcies. You possibly have um, some of the lenders finding themselves in trouble. So it could actually spill over onto sort of financial instability effects. So there's two ways it can end. One is that you get a kind of financial mess. The other is that people just stop spending and the economy slows down. And if the government doesn't pick up the, 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 the slack or if we don't get more exports or something, uh, we get a recession. What would you say to people who say that we just need to encourage people to live within their means and stop borrowing money that they can't afford to pay back? 
I don't agree with that because it pushes all the responsibility onto the borrower and it doesn't uh, acknowledge that actually you know, the broader environment in which they're operating, i.e. Uh, stagnant incomes, falling wages in real terms, real pressures from cuts to government services and so on, can lead people to have no choice but to fall back on credit. And it also takes the responsibility away from the lenders. It says only the borrowers are at fault uh, and not the lenders. And we should also be looking at, you know, why are people pushing, you know, high interest rate products to people who may struggle to to pay them back. So, no, I don't think it's fair to to blame the borrowers. Okay. So is there something that we could do to hold the lenders to account a bit more? What are the best ways for government or regulators to deal with high levels of personal debt? Well, I'll comment on that, Aisha. We've we've been doing quite a lot of thinking about this, and we think that we're at the stage where the debt burden is so big and unsustainable, as Joe's been describing, and may have these <clears throat> may have these negative effects on the economy, and it's having negative effects on people's lives. Um, that we are in a situation where we need some kind of debt cancellation. Mm. So we're actually arguing that some of the the unpayable and unjust debts, so debts that are very expensive that are causing deprivation because people are don't have a they're because they're having to pay expensive amounts on their debts they then have less for other things and don't can't pay for essentials or when when debts become uh, so big that it can't be paid off in a reasonable time scale so we're, we're arguing actually that some of that debt needs to be written off and there are various ways you can do that but we're also saying that obviously we need to look at the regulatory environment and make sure that we we change things so that we're not getting into this situation again in the future. What, what that looks like is regulators taking seriously total cost of credit. So at the moment, there is regulation on payday loans to say that people shouldn't have to pay more than 100% in interest on any um, payday loan, which are kind of short-term loans. But actually, you could apply that to credit cards as well and say people shouldn't have to pay more than 100%. So they would only have to pay back what they borrowed and 100% interest maximum. Mm. And after that, the the debt would be cancelled. I think the other thing that we're thinking about, which is not so much something that government is doing or regulators doing, but is something that we think needs to happen, is that debtor's voice needs to become much stronger. Mm. So we don't really have any voice for people who have borrowed money and who are facing unfair contract conditions or high interest rates to speak out. So we'd like to see debtors getting organised. It's, it's absolutely crazy that asking someone to only pay back double what they borrowed is, 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 uh, is seen as radical. You're absolutely right. And you can, you can have a conversation about actually is 100% too much and yeah. do you need to bring it down from that. But I think at the moment we're saying, well, if that's what you're applying to payday loans to the Financial Conduct Authority, why not transfer that across to other kinds of debt yeah. uh, as for starters? So, Joe, Sarah then was talking about um, cancelling debt. But do, do you think that that is kind of fair to other people who've, who've made lots of sacrifices to pay their debt and already paid it off? That's always the problem or the difficulty, I should say, um, with these kinds of proposals about cancelling debt is that you have to draw a line you know, between which debts get cancelled and, and maybe which debts don't get cancelled. It's a difficult question, but I think what, the way you have to deal with that is to just make sure you're very careful about deciding what is unjust debt, you know, what debt was, was issued in a way which is, is not uh, defensible. Uh, and you have to try and find a way of, of, of drawing that line in such a way that it does catch those people who, you know, really do have a case. Uh, and then perhaps trying to find ways of ease terms for, for those people who are just on the other side of the line. So, you know, try and find ways to, to move them onto much lower interest rates, to move them onto longer payment terms, 
So it's not just a case of cancelling debt for some people and leaving everybody else stuck, but actually trying to, to, to reduce the burden you know, much more broadly and find ways of bringing fairer lending across the board. Mm, but as Sarah was saying, I'm, I'm sure that finding, making space for the debtors to have a voice would be a really great place to start in this. Um, so, Joe, if we don't deal with high personal debt and it just continues the way it is, do you think that we could see another recession or even another economic crash? Given the size of um, personal debt, I mean, even though it sounds huge at around 200 billion, it's relatively small as a sort of fraction of, of overall banking and financial sector assets. So even if it does, you know, become you know, quite difficult for people to pay back and there's a lot of people who are not paying back. I don't at the moment see it as something which could lead to sort of 2008 style, you know, financial meltdown. It really just isn't of that kind of scale. But, uh, you know, you mentioned recession. I think it's it's not necessarily a, an outcome of the debt which will cause a recession. But at the moment, the only thing which is sort of keeping the economy going is this debt fueled spending. So and as we and as we you know I think we agree that something has to give here we can't continue to rely on low income people to keep borrowing on credit cards to keep the economy afloat so we're going to have to fix the economy at a sort of deeper level to mean that uh, or to, to get to a position where we we're not relying on on household debt. Can I ask you a question Joe? Um I was wondering where you come down on the whole point of um inflation and could we inflate our way out of the debt the debt problem? That's sort of been a you know a past solution to government debt. Um, you know when when government debt has been high by having high inflation, that sort of means that the you know, the money value of the debt gets gets smaller. Uh, I mean, my my news story this week was that inflation came in lower than expected. Sort of globally now, we've got a sort of disinflation problem. I mean, central banks around the world have been trying for the last ten years desperately to get inflation up and and not managing to. So you know, in theory, technically, yes, you could inflate the, the debt away, and, and, and historically that has been a way out. But in the current environment, I just don't see that kind of inflation coming back. Um, the other way you can kind of get around the problem is to, for incomes to rise. I mean, if wages started mm -hmm. growing strongly, then it would be much easier for people to, to, to service this debt, and hopefully they wouldn't need to go into debt again in the future. But, it, but we're seeing falling wages. So it's really quite difficult to see... You know, the usual mechanisms by which rather than cancellation, you know, you sort of grow or, you know, get your wages up, you get your incomes up, you get out of debt that way. Absolutely. Because I think part of the problem with um, debts covering over low wages is that actually you don't build up enough political pressure to increase wages mm. um, because people are using debts to kind of get by. So potentially if we can kind of say actually this debt, debt issue is a problem, we can also strengthen campaigns for wage increases at the same time. I'd really like that to be one of the outcomes of the work that we're doing. I think that would be a really important aspect. So to finish up, one of the possible solutions to high levels of debt that you've talked about is the idea of writing off debt or cancelling it for people who can't pay them back. But some people say that this would damage the very foundations of our economy. Very, that sounds very extreme. Can you give me an example of where this has happened before maybe and how it went and does it actually work? Yeah, yeah, I, I can give you <laughs> yeah. so many examples, Aisha. Oh, great. There's loads. I mean, people say, oh, you know, did, does debt, debt write-off actually work? Or have any campaigns for debt jubilees actually been successful? I mean, the obvious one is the Jubilee 2000 campaign, which managed to write off $100 billion worth of debt 
uh, owed by the 35 poorest countries in the world to richer countries' governments. So obviously that was governments writing off debt owed by other governments. But there are also examples where the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, have forced companies to write off debt. So there was a company uh, in just in just at the end, towards the end of last year, a company called Motormile Finance, which was found to have not done proper checks before they started chasing people for debt. They basically bought debt on the secondary market and started chasing people for it. But the FCA said, actually, you hadn't done proper checks and you were chasing people for amounts they didn't really owe. So they've had to write off £414 million worth of debt and they've had to repay £154,000 worth to customers. And then you've got, um, can I go on? Sorry, yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. so many examples. <laughs> no, um, the other one that I find interesting is in Croatia, where after the crisis, um, well, actually in, in 2015, so a few years after the crisis, they, the, the government found noticed that there were these bank accounts, there was like 300,000 bank accounts, where people had really big arrears. So debts on things like utility bills and uh, debts to local government, t- telephone bills, that kind of stuff. And they organised a write-off by negotiating with each of the different creditors. Mm. And then they wrote off debts for all of those 300,000 people. Wow. Okay. So this is possible. This possible. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, well, I've got another example, which is um, something which kind of happens all around us all the time without anybody really you know, stopping to think about it, which is bankruptcy. Um, if you're a shareholder in a limited liability company, you know, you see companies with something, something limited all the time. What that limited means is that the people who own that company don't have to pay the company's debts if the company goes bankrupt or if the company can't pay its debts. So all the time, companies are put into bankruptcy and they go to their, their creditors, the people who've lent to them, and they say, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't pay you. And for the most part, you know, it's, 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 just a, it's a normal part of the way our economy functions. You can also do it in, for personal bankruptcy. Individuals can declare themselves bankrupt. The problem comes is when you get lots of people or lots of companies or big companies doing it at the same time. Now, one example is the, the subprime crisis in the United States. You know, millions of people all couldn't pay their mortgages at the same time, and that led to Lehman Brothers not being able to pay its debts and going bankrupt. And then we got the sort of 2008 crisis that we're still trying to recover from. So there's a you know sort of technical example of uh, people writing off their debts all the time, and most of the time it works fine until you get these really big kind of you know badly managed um, clusters of of, of write offs. Yeah, the other example where it happens all the time is the secondary market, which I mentioned. So. Mm. Uh, when creditors sell their debts onto the secondary market, yeah. they've effectively rewritten them off. They're not expecting them to be repaid. They actually get a bit of tax relief on it as well. Mm. And then um, the, the companies that buy them up, buy them up for like pennies in the pound, but then will go after people for 80% of, of, what, of their original uh, debt. So are kind of making money out of this system. But actually, if the debt's already been written off, then should really people be chased for, the, for 80% or the full amount? Mm, yeah, I mean, to leave you with. Yeah, it feels like we're literally just scratching the surface of this whole murky world. So definitely encourage people to go and read more about it. And also, I, I've just learned that if I just change my last name to Limited, no one can make me pay for anything ever again. And I'm in a lot of debt. <laughs> so great. Okay, so if we can just wipe out debts, why don't we just wipe it all out? Does some amount of debt serve a useful function? Yeah, I think you can't get to a point where you wipe out all of the debt because you, if, if you do that, then you're basically wiping out people's savings because if, if you're saving into a bank or you, you know, you're saving into a pension, essentially what you're doing is sort of 
building up claims on other people who've who've borrowed. Um, so there's if, it's a way of connecting future spending and current spending and savings and and retirement and all that stuff. So it's not something we can just do away with. And I think as long as societies existed, people have you know lent each other money for their lunch or you know tried to save for their old age or whatever. Um, so it, it's always going to be there, but we just need to find a way to manage it better, I think. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, obviously, we have to remember that banks can create money. So mm. when they lend, so it's not just as if people, they're, they're taking money from savers and then lending it out. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right that we don't want to de- end debt altogether. Debt is useful. It can be really helpful, but it needs to be responsible. Awesome. Thanks, guys. So that's that's been very informative for me. Um, as a millennial, I really hope that someone wipes out all of my debts soon. Um, shout out to any computer hacking fans and friends, friends of the pod. But on a serious note, if any of our listeners are struggling with debts themselves, um, there are people who can help. So you can contact the Step Change Debt Charity. Um, you can give them a call on 0800 138 1111 for free advice. And there's several other independent organisations that can also give you free advice and help. So we've got Advice NI in Northern Ireland. um, And here in England and in Wales, we've got the Citizens Advice Bureau. And there's also Citizens Advice Scotland. Um, There are some commercial firms that offer free advice, but then they often recommend their own fee-based solutions. So they're probably best avoided. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, And thanks for being on the podcast again, Sarah. Thanks. Always great. Always great. Um, And Joe, if people want to hear more from you or read your stuff, where can they find you online? Um, Well, we've got a blog going on at criticalfinance.org. And I'm on Twitter under my own name, Joe Michelle. So, I mean, if anybody does want to hear more, even after this, then... uh, I'm mad, but they're welcome to have a look. Amazing. I'm sure they will. I'm sure you'll be absolutely swamped. So thanks, everyone. (laughs) If you have enjoyed this episode, please do think about leaving us a rating or a review in Apple Podcasts app. It only takes a minute and it really helps bump us up the charts, which helps other people discover the show. And make sure you subscribe to the Weekly Economics Podcast in the app of your choice to get new episodes every week. If you've got a question you'd like us to answer, you can tweet us at weeklyeconpod. The Weekly Economics Podcast is produced by James Shield and Hugh Jordan and brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. See you next week.